0: withheld the truth you are not alone in this universe we have lived among you hidden but no more if you resist us we will destroy the world as you know it your world must not share the same fate as Cybertron whole generations lost Megatron must be stopped no matter the cost now playing podcasts transformers retrospective series i would have waited an eternity for this hosted by our movie reviewers in disguise Stuart, jerry and arnie one shall stand one shall fall with the upcoming release of Michael Bay's Transformers Dark of the Moon Come back to now each week As they roll out a new Transformers movie review And see if they are more than meets the eye What you're about to see is top secret Do not tell my mother But be warned These reviews will contain spoilers in my language Listener discretion is at odds This isn't my war Not yet but I fear it soon will be.
1: Bob Weep, Grana Weep, Minibomb. Today we're talking about Transformers the Movie. Starring Peter Cullen, Judd Nelson, Orson Welles, <laughs> Le- <laughs> Leonard Nimoy. Did I watch the right movie? Robert Stack. <laughs> and directed by Nelson Shin. I'm Arnie, Co-host of Now Playing, when I'm not transforming into co-host of Marvelicious Toys, a Marvel collecting podcast, or Star Wars Action News, a Star Wars collecting podcast.
2: My only wish was that they had that cast in a live action version, wearing some kind of outfit.
3: (laughs) (laughs) This is Stuart in LA. Hey, and this is Now Playing newbie, Jerry. You may know me from Star Wars Action News and Republic Forces Radio Network, some other Venganza media production. And I just want to say, Jerry, I'm really glad that you're
1: joining us for this series. Especially this episode a Transformers 1986 cartoon, as it seems like we spent all last summer talking about 1986 cartoon droids. There you go. And I guess we're in trouble again, huh? So, Jerry, if you're the morgue c- to happy days, what are you doing here?
3: Actually, I guess I come in here to bring some of the Transformers knowledge. I kind of represent the fan here, big fan of the Transformers franchise, and just had to jump on board to talk Transformers from now playing.
1: And I'll be honest with our listeners. Jerry's the reason we're all here. It's true. I mean, we
2: had a lot of options for this summer. You know, Harry Potter is wrapping up. There's a Planet of the Apes. We wanted to do a show where somebody was really super big on it. And when Arnie named Jerry, I said, let's try Transformers. I am the newbie. I don't know the first thing about Transformers. Cartoon, comic. Toy movies none of it so this is all new to me and I am trying to approach it with as much
1: optimism as I can optimism prime here Yes indeed Well my perspective here is kind of a unique one for me I'm usually the fan and long term fan of the now playing series Here it's kind of like when we did the Star Trek series Stuart would be the first to probably tell anyone who asks him on Facebook That I went through a number of fads as a child I was probably into almost every toy line there was But there were a few that really stood out And that I was into more than anything else Star Wars being the number one And really the number two would be Transformers, which I was so into as a child I collected from, I would say 84 and I got my last one in around 87. And I saw Transformers the movie in theaters, but as Transformers started to wane in popular culture, my interest waned as well, and I never really looked back. And with all the resurgence and everything, I never looked at it. I still have all my Transformers sitting in a box that's in the garage right now, and this series will probably decide, does that box go on eBay, which is what I've been planning to do for months, or maybe this will rekindle my fandom and I will be adding a Transformers collecting podcast to my repertoire. We'll have to see.
3: And will that transform Marjorie into an angry, angry wife? <laughs> but see, Arnie, I'm very much like you. I mean, as a huge fan, Transformers is what took me away from Star Wars. You know, after Return of the Jedi is when all this stuff hit anyway. So I was kind of looking for the next big thing. And I followed Transformers all the way to the very end. Uh, you know, I was getting Transformers toys for Christmas up till uh, eighty-nine, ninety.
1: See, I didn't stick with it that long. I think I dropped out of it around the time my Star Trek phase began, and that was 88. I definitely watched all of the cartoons, which is where we're starting this retrospective series is with the 1986 Transformers the movie. And, you know, this had been requested by a lot of listeners, but I will say there was some debate amongst us because if we're looking at what we're building up to, I mean, this retrospective series culminates with the end of the Michael Bay Transformers trilogy, Dark of the Moon coming out in July. And I've seen the first two Michael Bay films, I've got to be honest, because it's been so long since I was into Transformers, I'm not quite sure how well I understood them. And I'm looking forward to going back to them with a proper mindset, watching them close together. But they're not really related to this 1986 thing at all. And in fact, the differences seem more stark than the similarities.
3: You know, compared to some of the later Transformers series that have been produced in the U.S. and Japan, there's just enough callbacks to Generation 1, more so than any other one. I mean, they don't go back to the Beast Wars and the Robots in Disguise and some of the other series. I mean, it's all about, hey, what's iconic? Because it's the audience. It's us who are now older that grew up with it that will probably appreciate this more. I got basic questions here because I've seen the movie, Transformers the movie, didn't watch
2: the show, and I, I'm wondering where it came in. I can tell you that there must have been a lot that happened before we get to where we started the movie, and I got questions. <laughs> Autobots,
3: Decepticons,
2: why can't they just get along? <laughs>
3: Well, you had the TV show run for two full seasons, yet there's very little you need to know about the first two seasons. I mean, most of the shows are just kind of throwaway, one-off episodes. Yep, good Autobots fight evil Decepticons, and they all want to really take control of the Earth's resources. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. And essentially, in in the folklore, these two factions, who had the same creator, and we'll talk about that later... Decepticons were just naturally more militaristic, violent, just had the natural urges to take over everything. Autobots were more of the workers, kind of the civil servants, if you will, and eventually just create a rebellion to try to fight off the Decepticons. Where the TV show really started was Decepticons were in control of Cybertron, but both factions pretty much just ran out of energy, which later they always coined the term Energon. So basically, the Autobots, led by Optimus Prime, they take off to find a new source of energy. Megatron the Decepticons follow after him Megatron boards their ship. They have a big fight, and the Autobot ship that's got both factions on crash land on Earth, and they're dormant for four million years, and then there you are. Okay. I think that makes sense. Why don't we get into the movie, then? So,
1: Jerry, why don't you get us started with a plot summary, if you can, because I don't think I could if I was in your (laughs) shoes. I don't envy you, Jerry!
3: Now, even though this film was released in August of 1986, the film takes place in the year 2005, which was really a big deal. I mean, suddenly, in a matter of weeks since we saw the end of season two, we are 20 years in the future, so we'll kind of see all the interesting viewpoints of the future. But anyway, let's go ahead and get started with the summary. The film opens with the impressive planet Unicron heading to devour the planet Lithone and all of its inhabitants. Lithone, by the way, is a planet and a race of creatures that we know nothing about. I mean, that's for sure. Yeah, they, they appear to be robots, but not necessarily transforming ones. So really, I don't know what their backstory is. It doesn't matter. So
1: that's why they were babies. I, I kept wondering why they were Transformer babies. Okay, they're not Transformers. That helps.
3: So Unicron is apparently destroying planets for the sake of re-energizing himself. Meanwhile, we go back to Cybertron, the home of the Transformers. The Decepticons have sole rule over the planets and have run the Autobots off to the planet's two orbiting moon bases. Optimus Prime sends several Autobots on a mission to Autobot City on Earth to get supplies and Energon so they can launch an assault on the Decepticon. The Autobots leave on a shuttle for this mission, but again is bordered by Megatron as Decepticon. Here we see the Decepticon slaughter all the Autobots on board. They approach Autobot City and open up a full-scale assault on the Autobots. This is where we meet the 1986 toy line, or I mean the new Autobots, including (laughs) Hot Rod played by Judd Nelson, Cup, Blur, Springer, Ultra Magnus, and a female RC. The Autobots are getting beat pretty bad, but Optimus Prime receives a distress call and comes to save the day. Optimus Prime kicks some butt, takes some names, and the movie was dubbed that this would be the final battle of Optimus Prime and Megatron, and we get it a mere 23 minutes in. Both leaders are essentially destroyed, but not before Optimus Prime hands off the sacred Autobot matrix of leadership to Ultra Magnus. The Decepticons retreat from the battle, now under the leadership of Starscream. As they travel back to Cybertron, they dump their near-malfunctioning comrades that are somehow weighing them down in space case. Starscream happily sends Megatron off in space to take over the Decepticon. However, Megatron is approached by Unicron, who speaks of the first time portrayed by Orson Welles. He gives Megatron a new body, a ship, and new soldiers to command in exchange for the fact that he has to hunt down and destroy the Autobot Matrix. So Megatron is rebuilt into this new form, renamed Galvatron, and performed by Leonard Nimoy, and quickly goes back to Cybertron to destroy Starscream for his treachery. Galvatron then returns to Earth and attacks our heroes so that he can destroy the Matrix in Ultra Magnus. This causes causes our new heroes to flee from earth in two ships the ships get separated and both crash land on separate planets. Hot Rod and Cup land on Quintessa, and meanwhile, Ultra Magnus and the rest of the Autobots land on the planet Junk, inhabited by the aptly named Junkians, led by Retgar, who's performed by Eric Idle. Back on Quintessa, Hot Rod and Cup are sentenced to death by the five-faced Quintesson. They avoid immediate death, but before they are taken over by the Sharkticon guards, Grimlock and the rest of the Dinobots rescue them, causing the Quintesson leaders to flee. Me head hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, on the planet Junk, Ultra Magnus is seemingly destroyed and Galvatron takes the Matrix, but instead of offering it up to Unicron, he attempts to control Unicron with it. The Junkions repair Ultra Magnus, while Hot Rod and the others regroup with them on Junk, and then they go after Unicron with the aid of the Junkion. Galvatron's betrayal, however, leads Unicron to transform into the monstrous sized robot as he then proceeds to tear Cybertron apart. A huge battle over Cybertron ensues, but the majority of the action takes place inside Unicron, where Hot Rod and Galvatron battle over the Matrix. Hot Rod is able to open the Matrix to where he is given the new name Rodimus Prime and christened as the new leader by Optimus Prime himself speaking through the Matrix. He then is powerful enough to throw Galvatron out of Unicron and then uses the power of the Matrix to destroy Unicron from within, and Rodimus Prime leads the Autobots to victory and control the planet.
1: Now, if that sounded confusing to our listeners, (laughs) I'd like to just say I I was just dumbfounded by this. This was my reintroduction to Transformers, and... I was getting whiplash. I would say this is like the Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, the movie. Because I hit Wikipedia because I had to know. Do you know how many characters there are in this film? 83 named characters. Wow. These may have speaking parts. Most of them, I think, do. I think most of their names are even said. But if you count all of the character models from the TV show that have major appearances, you get 36 Autobots, 38 Decepticons, counting, like, Galvatron and Megatron as separate ones and things. Two humans. (laughs) So, yes, in a movie marketed to humans... (laughs) We have 74 robots and two humans and then seven other named things like the Sharktacons, the Quintessons, and that doesn't even count that weird planet that got eaten at the beginning. So yeah, it's a packed thing. It's 83 characters in 84 minutes. <laughs>
2: they couldn't squeeze one more in with that
3: extra minute well you know i mean arnie the purpose of this movie i mean when you listen to the commentaries and i mean it's so well known their purpose was to cancel the 1984 1985 toy lines and introduce the 1986 toy line so because of that you have to have all from the previous generation of toys and all from the new generation can i just
1: say though that sucks This is Transformers the movie, the big screen adaptation of the TV series that I watched religiously. So to have a movie that's like, it's the final battle between Optimus Prime and Megatron, and that happens in like the first 15 minutes, and then all the characters who I know, all the characters who I like, all the toys I own are gone, and we're going, those toys aren't good enough anymore. Now have Hot Rodimus and this guy who talks really fast, kind of like I'm doing right now. You know, it's like, you suck, Mr. Toy Company man! I know this much. I didn't follow this series, but there wasn't anybody
2: in the schoolyard that didn't talk about how upset they were that Optimus Prime died in the Transformers movie. Even I knew that. I didn't know what it meant, but I knew that (laughs) it was for many kids it seemed to be a line in the sand am i right in suspecting this might have be the end of the
3: popularity by doing this i think it did in the sense that number 1 the tv series in the us only lasted another full season. Oh, yes. You had a little bit of a nugget that tried to start a fourth season in 1987, but by that time, it just didn't take off. There's a really well-known story of a poor boy who literally locked himself in a room for days because of how distraught he was, and his parents you know, couldn't get him out. They are worried about him. This was kind of wrong. I got to admit
1: that Looking at Transformers the movie now and trying to reflect back on me in 1986, and this may be to Transformers what X-Files Fight the Future was to X-Files for me, which is the moment it all started to turn a little sour. I think that, yeah, when the TV series came back, it wasn't the same TV series. I know I didn't tape and rewatch the Season 3 stuff. I watched it first run, and I don't think I've ever seen the Season 4 stuff. So let's get into the movie proper, because, again, I saw this in theaters. I'm watching the opening credits, and I- I'm actually going to spend a little longer on the opening credits than we normally do, because the first thing I notice is a Marvel Comics logo. Jerry, is this part of our Marvel Comics retrospective? Do I need to call <laughs> Jacob real quick and get him on the line?
3: Well, the TV series always was done in conjunction with Sunbow Productions and Marvel Productions. Marvel was making the comic books, so they have no ownership of this, but they were involved in the creation of the the TV series.
1: All right, well, we'll give this one a pass and say it doesn't really count. And then the cast starts coming up, and I was surprised, first of all, for an animated movie to have a cast list at the opening credits. I I honestly didn't expect to see any cast names. More importantly, I didn't expect to see Judd Nelson. I had no memory (laughs) of this. I, of course, knew Orson Welles was in this. This is famously his last role ever. Oh, my God.
2: It's painful to
1: me. You start with Citizen Kane, you end with Transformers the Movies. Wow. Wow. (laughs) What the hell are Judd, Nelson, Leonard Nimoy, Eric Idle, Robert Stack, and Orson Welles doing here?
3: Don't they know this is a toy cartoon? Well, you do know it's 1986 when this came out, right? So Judd Nelson was pretty well known. Leonard Nimoy, I guess, was still in pop culture because of where the Star Trek films were. I don't get Orson Welles, though, exactly, because even the filmmakers, I guess, felt like it was bringing some level of class to it. He's got a great voice. Oh, yeah. But I agree. Maybe he was just paid by wine casks, because <laughs> at this point in his career,
2: he really had just fallen off the wagon. I mean, he was months from dropping dead and, and very poor health, so I think that he may Himself available to whoever was paying.
3: Yeah, I mean, he literally just recorded, I believe, for just a short amount of time. I mean, he doesn't really have that many lines, and he actually passed away five days after recording. You know, all the lines. Oh my to this. Gosh. Yeah, it was five days. <laughs>
1: Five days. Listening to those line readings, I'm surprised it wasn't five minutes. It's like, drone <laughs> <"Get on Patron! laughs> Give me the Matrix! He sounded like he was falling over right there. It could have been anybody at that point on a ventilator.
3: And there was a lot of audio engineering work to make him sound that good, is how the story's <laughs> told. Oh, wow. This makes me very, very sad. I'm a big fan of
2: Orson Welles. He was really perhaps our first and greatest independent filmmaker. He really fought the Hollywood system all of his life and to end up, wow.
1: Yeah, you want him to die saying, Rosebud, and instead he dies saying, (laughs) Galvatron. (laughs) Not
2: quite the same.
1: (laughs) Definitely not the same. But that does prompt the question, is there
2: a Transformer sled?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Not that I'm aware of, but who knows.
1: But honestly... I had forgotten before going into this movie that these other quote-unquote names... i, I hesitate to call Judd Nelson a name. I mean, even in 86, it was the Brat no, Pack, No,
2: no, I mean, he was a big deal. I mean, The Breakfast Club, that was the
1: height of his fame, and he was coming right off of that. He was somebody. All right, but <laughs> as soon as the movie started... I forgot they were in it again. Did you guys even recognize the voices? Because everybody's voice is so synthesized. At the very beginning, during, like, the fishing scene, I'm listening to Hot Rod Talk, and I'm like, I do not recognize this voice at all. And by the end of the movie, I'd forgotten to even look for Leonard Nimoy and Eric Idle. Never recognized them as anything.
3: Where this becomes apparent is when these same characters are in season 3. You don't miss Judd Nelson as Rodman's Prime. I mean, they, who uh, You mean he didn't reprise the role for television? He probably could have, <laughs> but whoever did the voice for him in season 3 did a fine job. Leonard Nimoy, I felt like was missed a little bit because how they portrayed Galvatron's voice later was very different. And the character Retgar, who's portrayed by Eric Idle, He's terrible in season three. I mean, Eric Idle certainly brought something to that voice that could not be duplicated.
1: I couldn't stand listening to him here, so it sounds like a wash
3: to (laughs) me. Yeah, it it got
2: worse. (laughs) The one voice I did actually pick out was Scatman Crothers, and I had to pause the tape to find out. He apparently played something called Jazz, which I I don't know. I guess it's the Transformers' black friend. I don't know, but (laughs) apparently it's Scatman's last movie as well. He's in the club with Orson Welles.
1: Stuart, we just did all of the movies about the Poltergeist curse. Is there a Transformers curse?
3: (laughs) (laughs) You know, the thing about Scatman Crothers, he had been involved in the Transformers series since the beginning. Jazz was a very popular, well-known character all throughout. But Scatman Crothers, by this time, had been known for voiceover work. He'd done the Hong Kong Fooey cartoon and, you know, a few other things. Sure,
1: yeah. I don't think having these names added anything. And certainly, it was my toy room that got me into theaters to see this. It wasn't Mr. Spock is voicing the new bad guy.
2: Well, you know, and that's a lesson that Pixar has followed up on. There's a lot of animated movies, even to this day, where they spend top dollar to get Brad Pitt to do the voice in Sinbad, the cartoon, and it ends up making no money. And then Pixar finds people that are, you know, Craig T. Nelson and The Incredibles, and they have a hit. They cast people because of the quality of the voice, not how big their name is. And I don't think that the filmmakers here, I think they thought, Judd Nelson, he's that rebellious character from Breakfast Club. Why don't we have him as our, you know, upshot new rebellious Autobot. It isn't needed, you're right, but who knows? Maybe they just wanted to say they worked with worse and well.
3: I don't think it helped it. I mean, we know this movie was just a big box office bomb, but...
1: Was it? I did not know that. Oh,
3: really? Oh, that's really well known. This movie took in like $5.8 million. Wow. I actually attempted to see the movie and couldn't because in our local theaters, it was in and out in no time.
1: Wow, and ten of that dollars is mine because I saw it in theaters twice.
3: Okay. You saw it for me then. Because it
1: actually had the campaign this was terrible but by the time of 86 i'm sure now playing listeners long time ones know i saw return of the jedi 16 times in theaters et 13 times in theaters but by 86 i was kind of out of seeing movies multiple times but transformers i had a reason a friend of mine was going back and i'm like why well, yeah, we already saw that and he goes because the ad says there's so much happening you have to see it twice looking at it with 20 years distance he was right there's so much happening i felt like i had to watch it twice for this review because he
2: was half right <laughs> i'm not- (laughs) Sure, I'm willing to say he's completely right.
1: You had to watch it twice if you wanted to keep up. (laughs) Apparently, most people think you didn't have to watch it at all if it only pulled in five million. Ouch, that is terrible.
2: It should probably be said, too, that's the advent of the home video market. Like, 85, 86, that's when everyone was learning about VCRs and they realized they didn't have to go to the movie. They could get that stuff on home video. I'm willing to bet that. Had there been no other option, all the kids that watched the show would have gone to the movie.
1: Well, I do have to say, it's isn't it always dicey when you put on the big screen something that's currently on the small screen? I mean, you look at something like Sex in the City or Twin Peaks, at least you have the hope there that it's no longer on the television so people may come. But when you do like the X-Files or like this, and I can't think of too many other examples, it just always seems like, why are people going to go to the theater to pay what they can get at home for free?
3: Really, as a Transformers fan at the time, I didn't see this movie till it came out on video in 1987. And I always felt that it actually set a high bar for this because with your point, you got something in this movie that you never saw in the TV series, not even when season three started. It was nowhere near as dark as Transformers the movie was. And, and you're right, Arnie, more often than not, A movie based on a TV series feels like they just took three or four episodes and pulled them together to make a movie. I didn't think this movie ever felt that way.
1: Well, let's go through this and talk about some of the darkness, because after we get past the head-scratching opening credits of, wow, I'm about to see an Orson Welles film... We then find out through voiceover it's 2005. I love movies from the 80s that go into the future. Blade Runner, Terminator, Transformers. I gotta wonder, later in the movie when Soundwave becomes the tape deck, is he feeling obsolete to the iPod Transformer? (laughs) (laughs) We have this opening scene where what looks like a Viking planet with big tusks eats another planet.
2: Come on, it's the Death Star. We all know that's the Death Star coming. I could spot that a mile away.
1: All right. Yes. It is obviously the Death Star with tusks, though it has giant tusks and Unicron Orson Welles character here. I get that he is, looks like the Death Star and he eats planets, which reminds me of Galactus, which Stuart, we're going to be talking about Galactus in just a few weeks with a fantastic four retrospective. So you got something to look forward to here. Okay. I'm not quite sure, even having seen this film, I understand his motivation for why he eats planets. I know Galactus eats because he must, but for Unicron... Why was Unicron eating planets? Is it this is what he must do to survive? It seemed vindictive.
3: To me in that opening shot, you got the clear imagery of after he ate the planet that he was like re-energized. It seemed like, you know, for a kid's 1986 movie, the motive was as simple as he eats planets because that's what he does. He needs to destroy things in order to keep himself going. And until somebody stops him, that's what's going to keep happening. More to the point, I mean, what I got out of it is
2: everything up to this point in the cartoon, has been about Autobots versus Decepticon, here's something that's actually worse. Here's something that is indiscriminate. It'll eat Autobot, Decepticon, or whatever these
3: robot characters are.
1: We also find out that by the year 2005, the Decepticons now have owned all of Cybertron.
3: Here's the thing. When the TV show started in 1984, that was the premise that, you know, four million years ago before they left for Earth and crashed, the Decepticons actually had rule of the planet. They always did. So it's kind of funny that the Autobots got run completely off the planet onto these two moon bases, which we never knew existed before. And there's a lot of that in this movie, obviously. But yeah, you totally accept that.
2: And I was still learning what Cybertron (laughs)
3: was. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, okay,
2: sure, holding my head, hoping that something makes sense in the next five minutes. Did it? Uh, yes and no it was kind of like coming in and out of clarity i struggle with this one i i can't lie i both hands white knuckling it trying to hold on <laughs> to the remote control and rewind and get what was going on in the screen
1: here well you're not alone Stuart. because here i am coming back in and you know i expected it to be like going into a high school reunion and seeing all your old friends and just slipping back into the old chemistry you had but in fact it's more- More like a real high school reunion. We are seeing a whole bunch of old friends, and you're like, I kind of remember you. You look a little different, and what's going on now? Because... I don't understand, like you said, Jerry, this moon base all of a sudden, the Autobots are planning some raid, and then the Decepticons use that as a moment to attack. I'm having trouble following all that's happening, and it's happening very quickly.
3: Yeah, the pace of the movie's fast, especially because, you know, as we were saying earlier, they've got to get the eighty four, eighty five toy line kind of out of the movie, so you really see all these TV series characters. In and out. I guess for me as the fan, even to this day, I'm so familiar with these characters. I'm very familiar with the events after... The movie was season three and some of the other things that they did with the show. This is just normal. Transformers was always about Optimus Prime and a dozen of his guys and Megatron with a dozen or more of his guys. And of course, you know, you said the count was in the 80s. By this time, we had two years worth of toys. So to me, this is just what Transformers was. There's a lot of them.
1: Well, I have to say I did geek out at the battle on Earth for whatever reason. And I'm, I'm still not quite sure. Megatron hijacks a ship. They own a planet, but they couldn't get their own ship.
2: Aren't they ships? (laughs) i'm
3: confused i like why do robots need to ride in something i well it's a long trip Stuart. i mean yeah i can walk but i need a car to get to work
1: (laughs) (laughs) but when you get to this battle i was geeking out probably as a kid certainly now i'm like (gasps) insecticons constructicons i remember all of these And Dinobots! I mean, Dinobots were, like, a huge thing for me as a kid. I love dinosaurs, I love Transformers, so when you had Dinobots, I was all on board. And, yeah, it was, like, a very rapid-fire nostalgia trip to see all these characters all of a sudden. And, of course, poor, obsolete sound wave and all his cassettes. (laughs) I gotta say something that I feel this movie did terribly, and I think it's a problem with the series overall, is scale. Don't you forget you're looking at 50-foot robots? You just think you're looking at, like, six-foot people
3: that are robots? I think that's one of the reasons why the humans pop up just enough to remind you of that.
2: Yeah, I was about to say, Daniel puts that all in perspective, and I was surprised. I thought this would be my entry character. I thought this would be the character to help me understand the world. But he's kind of a supporting character. He's not the star of the movie. It's not about a boy and his robots. He's really just hanging out waiting for his dad to come back from the moon
3: yeah and i guess just for some background spike was a younger boy in the original series with his dad Sparkplug, who mysteriously disappeared we never know what his fate was spike is now the adult he has a son
1: so daniel is spike's son and he's fishing with hot rod and yeah Stuart, like you say you think it's about the boy i don't understand where all the humans have gone. Because one of the things that I remember from the series is humans were always in jeopardy, right? It's like Superman 2. The Decepticons would constantly threaten the humans. The Autobots would have to save the humans. And here, we get to see two humans the whole movie. It very felt like they weren't on Earth at any point. And to jump ahead, one of the things I feel this movie does wrong is Unicron never tries to eat Earth. How do you miss that? How do you not put Earth in jeopardy if you have a planet eater?
3: I think to answer the first part of the question about saving the humans, they were definitely there to protect the planet from Megatron just zapping it from all of its resources and essentially killing the planet. There were certainly times where humans were directly in jeopardy. It was really more about the robots and the characters and the humans were supporting. To me, Generation One was always the right amount of humans for some of the perspective and to just kind of put everything to scale. But no, this movie is not about the humans. It's not like there's no humans on Earth. Earth, you're only at Autobot City. You know, there aren't humans roaming around Autobot City. That is their base of operations. So you've got Daniel because he and Spike hang out with the Autobot, but there's no reason why there'd be like, you know, a shopping mall inside this Place, you know, something to where there's a, a town. It's, this is a military headquarters. I'll side
2: with Arnie on this one. It was a surprise to me that there were no earthlings in the movie other than the father and son. I really thought that there would be more of an interplay because, again, I guess I thought the story of Transformers was about them coming here to fool us for some reason, but not so much.
1: So, Hot Rod and Daniel see this ship coming in and they go buzzing to Autobot City where we're going to get this big battle and we get our, what, second or third hard rock song or metal song already. We're (laughs) five minutes into the movie. And honestly, it's so anachronistic that... It's like somebody just pushed play on their boombox in the theater. It fits the movie so poorly.
2: What are you talking about? If you are geeking out about Insecticons, I'm totally rocking out to the fact that I'm listening to The Touch. <laughs> you guys know what this
1: song is, right? It's from Boogie Nights, but somebody tell me why it's from Boogie Nights. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, why isn't Wahlberg guesting on this?
2: did he have a musical career by this point? I not, guess not. No, still yeah. a couple <laughs> years away from the Funky Bunch. But, wow, I don't think I realized that the infamous Touch song that Mark Wahlberg's character sings in Boogie Nights actually came from this movie? It was written for Transformers, the movie? Is that right? This is where it debuted. It was actually originally written
3: for uh, Cobra. Which makes no sense whatsoever.
1: The Sylvester Stallone film. Yes.
3: Oh,
2: okay. I was like, G.I. Joe? (laughs) No, I really
1: don't get it. (laughs) Cobra? Really? Oh, that makes it all the more awesome. I had to look it up, and I'm like, why is Dirk Diggler singing The Touch? I mean, in the Boogie Nights universe, did he eventually get out of porn and sell that song to Hasbro? (laughs) But,
2: you know what? It, it, this was fun. The music, I mean, it's so cheesy. It's so campy. It's so trying to do what Van Halen and all the party rock music of the era was doing, but on a much lower budget with no names. Did you guys ever see the movie Heavy Metal? They also kind of did this, too, where they, yep. they, they I think that might have been the first movie to pair like sci-fi animation And
1: American Hard Rock. I have seen Heavy Metal, but not for a long time. But what's killing me is that it's really like you're getting some Megadeth-sounding music on here and things. It's not just... 80s rock this has definitely got a metal feel to it that really shocked me i mean i understand there could be a pun transformers literally are heavy metal but i just i didn't expect it in this movie
2: Uh, it wasn't that heavy arnie i mean i think that it might have been chrome or
3: lead i mean it wasn't megadeth no way but the song that they use, Instruments of Destruction, where Megatron enters that Autobot shuttle, that's a pretty heavy song.
1: I thought it was Dave Mustaine on vocals. You listen to that Instruments of Destruction. Oh, yeah. It is really, yeah.
2: Didn't they do a song called Symphony for Destruction? Yes, they did. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, I'll give you this. This is the most slamming cartoon soundtrack from the 80s ever. I would not have imagined the Smurfs going this tough. <laughs>
3: I love this soundtrack. I mean, when they first released it on CD in 1992, I ordered it. I had to have this music, you know, aside from the movie. I remember when video on MTV was Stan Bush performing The Touch. The video was just, you know, clips from the movie with Stan Bush kind of playing in front of it. This music is so iconic. I mean, The Touch was even later used in series of Transformers when they brought Optimus Prime back. They still reprise that. I mean, this is the Transformers anthem. There were so
1: many hard rock songs so quickly in this movie it's like the first 10 minutes is constantly to hard rock it really felt like we got to put these on the soundtrack and so let's get them out of the way because what really shocked me is after optimus prime dies we get back to like the most terrible score that it sounds like it could have just been copied and pasted from one of the tv series cartoons it's funny how the music goes away for quite a while until planet junk and then suddenly weird al shows up out of nowhere
3: Oh, see now Arnie, oh you're hitting me out of where I live here. This uh I I think all the music, even the score, is fantastic. I, in fact, the gentleman who composed the score, Vince DiCola, did the music for Rocky Four, which is another score and soundtrack that I love. But no way, this whole soundtrack, the score, I, I love it.
1: As I, at best, it sounded like a Vangelis ripoff, and at worst, it sounded like MIDI. As the worst part of it was, I didn't find it very musical. It fit the action, but it was just such a jarring contrast to how we started off, where literally we get the hard rock Transformers th- song going straight into Instruments of Destruction, going straight into The Touch. What's ironic is we had Casey Case over here. It's so like you needed to keep on with the countdown.
2: <laughs> you know what? I didn't notice the music unless it became a hard rock anthem. There's about four or five songs that stand out. You know, they're pop heavy metal songs, and those are the ones I noticed. I didn't notice any of the other ones. And this movie is full of stark contrast, Arnie. I I don't think the music is alone in making those leaps.
1: No, no. It was just the first one I noticed. And, I also had a problem, though. I was surprised they broke out the touch so early. So we're getting the fight and Optimus Prime rides in to save the day and the touch plays. And I'm like, just knowing the song, having not seen this film since 86, I kind of thought that would be the song they play at the end when like Hot Rod gets his power. And so for this to play during what should be a tragic scene, right? Optimus is going to die here. I I knew that. How did you know that? You knew that from watching it beforehand? Yes, yes. I, I, I do not remember my thoughts from 86. But watching it now, I know Optimus is riding into his doom, and it's like, you got the touch! It's like, wow, that's a strange choice. I would think you'd go for something a little bit more serious. No, Arnie, you're
2: missing it. They're trying to give him one big last hurrah. They're trying to give this guy a big moment because they're about to take him out.
3: So you want him to end on a high note, literally. (laughs) And then there's that other side of it to where Optimus Prime is there to save everybody else. I mean, if he and the Dinobots and everybody else didn't show up, Megatron would have slaughtered the rest of them. So that was like the heroic moment. And you're right, it does show up again, because you know it's a little heavy handed, but they're telling you, these are the same guys getting ready to do the same things, the same moments. These are the heroic nature of these two Autobot leaders. And yes, You're going to feel okay about Rodimus Prime, or at least you're supposed to be feeling okay about Rodimus Prime because he uses the same song.
1: I don't know. I think I can go with it more when it's actually a score and, you know, you hear the, you know, heroic Star Wars theme or the Indiana Jones theme or something. And, you know, you hear that during the moments and it calls it subconsciously when it's playing the touch. For me, heavy metal music doesn't work as a score, I guess, at all. And while I like listening to the soundtrack on its own. It just didn't work for me scoring these scenes. It always just felt anachronistic. And I just, the touch seemed to me a strange choice, but I see what you're saying about the last hurrah. And then it's just a matter of aesthetic and me not liking heavy metal music used to score a film.
2: But isn't Optimus Prime a semi? I mean, this is pure truck driving music. I mean, maximum overdrive, over the top. This is what you would blast, full blast. No, Arnie, you're wrong. The
3: touch is perfect. How would you feel about when the music ends for Optimus, the death scene? This is the first time we hear about this Autobot Matrix. And, Stuart, in case you're wondering, no, that never existed until that scene. Handing it to this Ultra Magnus guy that we just met. There was a lot of things jarring, but the impact of the death scene I thought was really good. And one of the reasons why I enjoy the movie, you know, 24, 25 minutes into it, the stakes are higher. Things are going to happen in this movie that we never saw before. So it really worked for me.
1: I was shocked by it when I first saw it. I do remember that. Watching it this time, I wish that there was something that would have shown this fight to be different. That there was something that would make it where this time the stakes were raised for some reason. But everything had happened so quickly. I didn't really get that. And how did you guys feel about the fact that really Prime dies because Hot Rod's a jerk? That's what comes through here. I mean,
2: looking at this from a story perspective, you've started off with the death of the leader and it's really hanging on the head of Hot Rod. He's got to be the one to make this right. It makes him a central character, even though, oddly enough, he's not the one anointed leader. Yeah,
3: I mean, it's very, very drawn out for us that Hot Rod's the first to go up to Optimus Prime and say, forgive me. Although, I personally always give Hot Rod a pass, because if he hadn't done that, Megatron would have just whipped out the gun and shot him anyway. So, the whole fight for me was a little weird, because, yeah, even though Megatron was essentially destroyed, Optimus just really kind of beat him around, but Megatron put the lethal blows on Optimus. I wish Optimus had just really been a little bit more effective in the fight, but the fight in general was far better than anything we'd ever seen in the show.
2: Yeah, should be said for the listeners, Megatron is begging forgiveness as he's inching towards a gun. My question is, doesn't he transform into a gun? <laughs> yeah, but then he becomes
3: tiny and then that takes some time and you know <laughs>
2: Does he need another robot to pull his pistol?
3: <laughs> no, he can just no. float in the air and pull his own trigger.
2: Okay, I'm gonna give this one a pass, but you know that this is silly.
3: All right. I will not argue with you there. I I won't. (laughs) You you can't argue that he lost the cannon on his arm earlier, so maybe he doesn't have the power source to shoot it, but that's just getting kind of geeky.
1: Yeah, I just wish there was something to say why the stakes were raised, and this time it's Fatal. That said, I remember even as a kid not caring that Optimus Prime was dead. I never actually really liked the character. He seemed a little too stern and paternal. I was always a Bumblebee fan. If they'd killed Bumblebee, I might have been in tears in theater. But killing Optimus, I was like, all right, he's gone. There's a new truck in charge. I I think that, you know... Optimus was an, an anti-carite because he he just gave them power to the nearest truck.
2: what well, is is that <laughs> what this other thing is? I couldn't tell what Ultra Magnus is. He's like a car carrier. Okay. So,
3: oddly enough, the the toy actually uses the Optimus Prime body and then puts like that armor around it. So he's a, he's basically a semi as well.
2: Okay. So they keep it in the family. There's no <laughs> hope that RC is going to get in there with her little lady car. Is this new? Because I didn't think... I mean, obviously, there are male voices, and we
3: think of them maybe as boys, but there's Lady... Transformers as well? This isn't totally new. There was one episode of Season 2 where there were a couple female Transformers featured on Cybertron, but as a recurring main character, yeah, this was brand new. In fact, they never made a toy of RC because, you know, it was pretty well believed that kids ain't gonna buy a toy of a lady. So she was isolated to the show. Not completely new, but for a starring role, yeah.
1: At this point, we're getting our new cast of characters, and Stuart, you said it pushes Hot Rod into the center of responsibility. Did you realize he was the quote-unquote star of this film? Because I got to say, I knew I had the pre-knowledge coming in. I knew he turned into Rodimus Prime. But watching the movie, I am very confused who our hero is supposed to be. If he's the Luke Skywalker, I'm not getting it.
2: Well, like I said, I I was still hoping that Daniel would take center stage as the boy learning... To be like his father, working with the Transformers. That was the character I was most paying attention to, just because he wasn't made out of metal. But yeah, since Daniel hung out with Hot Rod, I earmarked him as being the main dude. And certainly he's, what, a Corvette or something? That's a cool car. He's definitely cooler than... This wishy-washy guy that doesn't really know if he's even capable of being leader, That they give him the Matrix.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty clear because, I mean, number one, he's really the first new character we see and he's constantly in focus and you see that change around when he starts... Putting himself in there is like, hey, don't you think we should be doing this? Or, hey, shouldn't we go help that? I mean, he starts building himself up to that all along. And I I thought it was pretty clear that they're trying to push Hot Rod as the next big toy. It's also why you would put
2: Judd Nelson as the voice. He's not going to be your average, everyday car in the background. He's going to want to be the star if he's coming off
1: Breakfast Club. But then and now, I didn't know that was Judd Nelson. Again, I it doesn't sound like Judd Nelson to me. They've put him through the synthesizer to Autobot his voice up. And it could be anybody. It really could. And here, there's just so many characters. You'd think that, all right, they had to kill the old toy line. And here was a huge number of deaths. There was more deaths in the first 15 minutes of this film than in two seasons of the cartoon. And... You'd think that when they start having to escape from Autobot City, you'd pare it down to a core group of characters. But we still have, like, a dozen characters on each side. Yeah, I was not lacking for people to
2: follow. I guess that's why I stayed with Hot Rod. I just felt like, all right, this is one I learned early. He's uh, friends with the human. He's going to be important. And so I just earmarked him
3: as the one to watch. But the movie does take... Ultra Magnus, Hot Rod, Cup, Springer, and RC and those are the five that you have mostly the Autobot perspective of. When they start attacking Autobot city near the beginning of the movie those are the five that come together and say hey what are we going to do so you kind of get that they're going to be the highlight of Transformers at least the Autobots from here on out.
1: But we don't spend a whole lot of time I mean admittedly this movie is only 84 minutes there's not a whole lot of time period but we spend just as much time with the Decepticons as we do with the Autobots if we were focused just on that group of Autobots, then that would be one thing. But I kept forgetting some of the Autobots were around. Perceptor, the Dinobots, Blur, the Micro Machine Man. Every so often, they'd pop in and I'm like, oh, they got out of Autobot City? I wasn't really sure what happened to them.
2: I would have a no idea as a newbie. They're all new to me. You're saying new line, old toy line. I wouldn't know the difference other than Optimus Prime. There were characters that I paid attention to and there were ones that I assumed were dead and... I couldn't tell you in a police lineup which ones they were. And I know them mostly for what the, Perceptor was the microscope. I got that much. And RC, I got, she was a pink lady one. Like, if they were novel enough, I could figure them out. But if they weren't, then Blurs talks really fast. I don't think I know any of the other ones, I don't think any of them stuck.
3: I definitely feel this way about the new Decepticons. I mean, we have this opportunity to recreate Megatron into Galvatron. Yep, new leader, new toy. We'll get into some of his actions here, but then his minions, you made two Cyclonuses and three of this character named Scourge. It's like, why are you duplicating Transformers? You'd think that'd be an obvious opportunity to me. That always annoyed me. Create, you know, five unique, separate characters, i.e. five unique, separate toys. I don't know why they went that route. And they continued it with Scourge. There was Always like three scourges roaming around in season three. It was really weird.
1: Well, let's talk about the Decepticons for a little bit. The Decepticons escape in a flying locomotive. <laughs>
2: <laughs> can I just say that took me way by surprise that they would rely on steam power train to fly away. What you're looking
3: at is a one of the handful of Transformers that were dubbed triple changers so he got in the locomotive and then transformed into his other form which was a space shuttle which we saw him later so yeah that's always yeah. been weird though. Yeah.
2: Not a great thing to emulate in 1986 <laughs> we don't want to get into anything shaped like the space shuttle it had just ended up in pieces. <laughs> oh
1: I hadn't even thought of that. But they they escape and of course starscream i know this from memory has always tried to be the leader of the decepticons so now that there's blood in the water the poor insecticons and megatron get jettisoned but of course they're robots so they, they are fine with that and just float around so they come across unicron who turns them all a bluish shade of purple With some shoddy animation. I mean, I gotta say, the animation here is, I think, a bit better than the TV series. There's certainly a lot more to it. There's a lot more characters, a lot more action, but the detail seems lacking. I think changing them all one color confused me more, because once they're like, you're Scourge, and you're... Other scourges, minions, and your Galvatron, and I'm like, why are they all looking the same?
3: That's a really good point. But animation-wise, this film is light years ahead of the series, though. I mean, the detail to me wow. is amazing. I don't know Arnie, when the last time you've seen an episode of the TV series, but it so lacks detail. It's chunks of errors, lots of things done wrong. I mean, this movie is incredibly well animated compared to the series. I know what you're saying, though. This has its fair share of things that you can point out, but compared to what you got, this is high-end.
1: But I think they put a lot of money into having 83 different characters in one battle scene, but not a lot into the shading. I mean, I went back and I actually called up some shots of, like, Disney films from around this time and things. This can't hold a candle to any of the high-end animation. This was obviously done by a television studio given a larger budget this really didn't deserve feature film status as far as the quality of animation goes
2: well i will say this much some of this may be cultural too because i mean arnie have you seen much anime or or manga or any of that i mean i watched voltron as a kid does that count It does count, (laughs) but uh, even their features, I mean, I I do feel like the way that things can be drawn, it's exactly as you say, is that sometimes they can be incredibly detailed. That can sometimes be the difference between Disney and Japan. I mean, it's just a different aesthetic. The animation here didn't really bother me. I don't think it was a problem. I mean, it didn't feel sophisticated. I'll, I'll give you that, but
1: it's more or less what I expected. But for me, the best way I could tell the characters apart was the color, especially if they're not speaking. RC is the pink one and Hot Rod's the red one. So when you have a whole bunch of purple ones, I started to lose it. But I don't even remember Scourge or any of those others other than Galvatron. Do they even show up again?
2: Well, there you go. See, you're like, all these ones confused me. There was only one to me. It was the transformation of Megatron into Galvatron. Anything else was going on in that scene. With Orson Welles, I didn't take note of it. That was what seemed to be important was that the former leader is now becoming a servant and i thought that was an interesting dynamic it kind of like a lot of things here remind me a little bit of star wars how we saw vader bow to the emperor it kind of had that moment to me
1: but we get megatron turning into galvatron and i've never understood this and i thought perhaps being older wiser i might get it this time i'm still confused megatron is fixed and becomes galvatron but is he the same person Does he remember he used to be Megatron, or I'm confused by this?
3: The answer to that question is yes. He is very much the same guy with the same memories, but he's a little beefed up now because of Unicron. It's like Unicron like shot some steroids into him. In In season three of the show, though, he actually just goes crazy because with Unicron being gone and him being sort of exiled away for a little bit when Hot Rod chucks him through the side. They find him like in a molten lava pit or something really weird and he actually slowly goes insane so he's unstable, I suppose because of the fact he was reconstructed into another being, but he absolutely remembers himself as Megatron, yet at the same time, he makes weird statements like, I will destroy you just like Megatron destroyed Optimus Prime so it's like he has the memories but a lot of conflict.
2: But more importantly it's played by two different voice actors
3: right? This is where we get Spock.
1: I didn't notice...
2: And see, maybe that's why I wasn't confused because this seems to be a sticking point for you, but for me, the transformation made sense. I actually liked this part of the movie. I was like, ah, it's become something else. Honestly, the saddest death in this movie, I don't know who Optimus Prime is and he died. Well, that's too bad. I miss Starscream. I kind of like this guy. (laughs) He's a pretty good villain. I like his voice. And I like the power struggle that he had with Megatron. I felt like he was taken out too quickly here when Galvatron comes back and reclaims the crown. Well,
1: this is the thing. This is why I said, to hell with you, toy makers, because they're killing all your favorites with no mercy and no preamble and not even making it special. It's like, hi, Starscream, boom, you're dead.
3: You didn't think that was special, though? I mean, that was like, as a kid and even now, I look at that thinking that is the perfect way for Galvatron to just say, hey, here's a hit and just end it. And Starscream dies so Cool! I mean, we've never seen anything like that. We've been seeing Starscream and Megatron go back and forth, and Starscream trying to take over the Decepticons. It got old by this time. It was good to see it just end, and that really told you that this Galvatron is Megatron times two, and I think that really quick scene said a lot about who this character was going to be. I appreciated this as a contrast.
2: As someone that doesn't really understand the difference between Autobots and Decepticons, and I know that I'm told one is good and one is bad, here I actually see it demonstrated. Autobots have a change in leadership, and everyone pretty much is okay with it. The guy opens his chest, he hands him a medallion, it's you. Okay, no complaints. Here, it's a free-for-all. People are dying. He's like, I'm the leader. You know, like, he's blowing away the horns. I mean, uh, you get it. You get in watching the way that he ascends power in the Decepticons that these are vile creatures. These are the bad guys. We're told that watching this exchange of power.
1: By the same token, Galvatron shows up and kills Starscream and all the other Decepticons who had been infighting. They all just suddenly go hail Galvatron. Do they know he was Megatron returned or are they just like, well, he's the baddest mofo among us. So let's use him. I go with the second.
3: Definitely. They have no reason to know he's Megatron, but based on what they just witnessed, that's very characteristic of Decepticons to say, oh, I'm following that guy.
1: (laughs) Meanwhile, Unicron got hungry again and goes and kills more of my favorite characters he eats moon base one with jazz and cliff
3: jumper and bumblebee right well he was on the second one but yeah he pretty much takes them out one at a time
2: that was two moons oh boy <laughs> did i not understand <laughs> this movie yes yeah, so it was two moons <laughs> Okay. Yeah, when he gets to the second moon, that's when the shit hit the fan. Oh, my God, the S-bomb in a kid's movie. Yeah, that was a surprise. I mean, it stands out when a cartoon character uses foul language. Maybe in this day of South Park, we're less shocked by it. But in this world, up to this point, I had no indication it was coming.
1: I remember being in theaters and seeing parents, like, gasp and cover their (laughs) children's ears too late, and actually some people left the theater at that moment.
2: I would think that's true. If you're trying to build an audience, you know that, kids, it's PG. You know some of your audience is here with parental guidance. The parents aren't going to be cool with
3: this. You know, like what I said earlier about the movie being a flop. This is one reason why, because they actually took that out for the majority of the VHS releases, and just recently put it back into some of the, the recent DVD releases, like the 20th anniversary edition. But yeah, Hasbro was really trying to make sure it was PG number one to get it to where it play in you know the evening hours. Usually at this time, a G-rated animation movie played in matinee, and they they wanted to expand it out. They wanted to make sure parents came. So they knew the toys to buy for their kids to understand all this, but you're right. This took it a little far. You know, a lot of parents and word of this got out. Some parents even, I've heard stories of parents leaving just after that opening scene when Megatron just slaughtered all. I mean, you saw death, obvious death. So things like that killed this movie pretty quick. They were, they were poor choices. So
1: with eating these moons, did Unicron have a plan? Was it something involved with the Matrix, or was he just, again, hungry and just happened to be by those moon bases?
3: that's one thing the movie obviously doesn't explain to us why that is. I always kind of took it as a putting Galvatron in his place because immediately Galvatron says, Hey, what are you doing? Cybertron's moons belong to me. And I think that was just kind of a lesson, but it's, it's really not clear. You don't really get the motivation. Maybe he just needed a, a meal, but the, the film definitely fails in doing anything other than just creating suspense for characters that we know and love and put them in peril later. Let's be
2: honest. There's that 30 seconds that pass that they don't have a chase scene or an action
1: scene or
2: something's got to happen there's no quiet downtime in the movie they keep this
1: hopped up well that's what made the fishing scene so freaking unusual (laughs) is this movie is kind of all action all the time except for the scene of him fishing
2: no that fishing scene was like 20 seconds and then he was on a hoverboard i mean that was there was no slowness
1: (laughs) there was no stasis I guess the time it took him to cast that line out the second time, I was like, this is a long moment. Because at 42 minutes in, which is where we're at around this point, I'm becoming physically exhausted.
2: I agree. And Grimlock is sitting there going, me want a story! And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it's time for a Scripticon to show up and lead the way. <laughs> I do not know what's happening anymore. I feel like I have been whirled and whipped around and I'm trying to follow 80 different characters who all have the similar names and some are good and some are bad. It's, it is exhausting to watch this movie. And by this point, I need slowness. I need to settle down. I need to understand that we're now on the Millennium Falcon and these are the good guys and they're going to eventually get to the Death Star. But you're telling me, I think if I understood your plot summary, they wind up on two different planets? That confused the hell out of me because they crash land. Did they crash? At what point? Can you show me a still of that? Because I really didn't even see a crash. (laughs) I thought that they said, we need to go land for repairs. And the next thing I know, they're underwater
1: and like metal piranhas are attacking them. Yes. Yes. Thank you. I'm very confused as to what happened there. I had to rewind. Apparently, does the ship break in half?
3: Well, Ultra Magnus's ship, they do that what they call the emergency separation, so Galvatron can destroy the back three quarters and just see that he blew something up. Then they took the small little cockpit, I guess, and tried to land for repairs, but they ended up crash landing. I mean, they clearly crash land because you've got Daniel being thrown all the place and Springer says the line, you know, remind me to give the autopilot a raise, which I, I don't know what that means exactly because they crash landed. And they're all
1: machine Anyway, so aren't they all autopilots? <laughs>
3: <laughs> but wait, everyone's in that little escape pod, right? No, 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 no. Hot Rod, Cup, and the Dinobots are on a completely different ship. They take oh. off in two shuttles.
2: <laughs> oh, totally missed that. Okay. Me too. Me not get it.
3: Me <laughs> stupid. <laughs> that explains a lot.
1: <laughs> Why are they all of a sudden underwater?
3: Well, there's that line earlier in that uh, when Galvatron's chasing him where Springer says to Ultra Magnus, you know, Cup, Hot Rod, and the others just bit it. And he said in Ultra Magnus, I can't deal with that right now. So Galvatron shoots their ship down. So even though we didn't see the crash, it's assumed because they actually shot that ship out of space and it just happened to go to Quintessa. So you assume wherever they crash landed, they fell in the equivalent of the ocean or the lake of Quintessa.
1: So what I assume is the animators ran out of time for that scene (laughs) because I
3: was freaking lost.
2: (laughs) I I, I'm going to say right now, it was a huge mistake to have them escape in two different ships. We needed to have all the main characters together and to understand who they were. To have two parallel adventures, yeah, you either need to make that crystal clear or more for the sake of simplicity, we have our band of rebels kicked out of their base all together as one landing on the planet of Junk. I don't know why it couldn't all happen there. And more to the point, I don't know how they all reunited now. So as we go through this next part, please fill in those blanks.
1: Why do we go to Quintessa and meet the Sharktacons and the Magistrate? What in the hell are we doing here? It feels to me like they are setting up things for future stories here when they should have been servicing the story of this movie.
3: Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, the movie's very annoying in the sense that it fails to connect... The Quintessons with Unicron and the origins of the Transformers. You're right. That happens later. You know, one month later when season three debuts on television, the first five-part miniseries that kicks it off is is called The Five Faces of Darkness, and they go into all that. So you're absolutely right. But what's kind of interested if you catch it now, and guys I recognize I've seen this movie probably 50 plus times so wow 50 times oh Stuart I watch this movie all the time <laughs> I I love this but anyway the one thing you'd need to kind of catch is not obvious is that The Quintessons, they take that one character, Kranix, from the opening scene of the movie. Kranix is one of those robots that Unicron destroys at the very beginning. He's on trial. You know, I ask myself this question. Why is he on Quintessa when he should be in Unicron's belly, (laughs) right, for lack of better words? There's some connection between them. We never actually fully learn it in the series they do do a poor job of pacing it together for us. But we later learned that the Quintessons created the Transformer. They're their creators. They created them as servants. And the Transformers, X number of million years ago, rebelled and took over Cybertron. So we later learn, Arnie, you're right, we later learn there's a deep connection here, and they're just it up.
2: What a mistake to only set up and not tell us that. Oh, I agree. That's the kind of thing I would think would be in a movie. If you're in right. a movie, <laughs> to find out the origins of your toys, I would think that that would be a huge thing, and perfect for a theatrical telling. I gotta say, I like the whole idea that they stand trial. I really like the fact that they're always found innocent, and they still are put to death i thought that there was something kind of cool happening here but it is just done so half fast and just so just thrown out there that i'm like this either needed to be a separate movie or you needed another 10 minutes to really develop this world
1: i just couldn't believe that yeah it never ties in to the climax it never ties into the story of unicron which i'm trying to grasp as the central story despite all of the chaos going on optimus prime dying it should all come down to unicron and Stuart, i know why you like the quintessence because the bailiff looked just like alien from alien
2: oh baby is that it i don't know
1: yeah they stole the geiger design made it a robot and he was like the bailiff going have you reached a verdict I mean, it was blatantly (laughs) obvious. I'm like, Stuart's going to make an alien reference here. You missed it. It wasn't obvious to me. I missed it. But I I enjoyed it. You're
2: right about that. Maybe that's the reason why. Again, it lets you know that Hot Rod is your guy. This is the guy that I'm following. His adventures are the most central.
1: I'm kind of wondering if it's Cup. Cup's the one with the experience. Cup's the one with the good stories.
2: (laughs) Well, it's like the lethal weapon thing. Hot Rod is the young, you know, Mel Gibson, and Cup is the old, crusty, I've been here doing this too long, Danny Glover. I mean, that's the interplay that's happening. One's the old guy, one's the new guy.
3: Well, yeah, and he's very pivotal in the sense that once Cup accepts Hot Rod is the leader, then you know Rodimus Prime is for real. So yeah, he's definitely a prospective character. No,
2: you know that. I still <laughs> don't know what Rodimus Prime is. <laughs> so what's going on on junk? If that's what's happening with the characters that I think are the main characters, <laughs> the Dinobots going down the yellow brick road where like they're like they're having a little road adventure. I don't understand what's going on at
1: all. Ultra Magnus goes to junk. And at this point, we see another toy, I'm sure. Daniel becomes a Transformer with an exosuit. This I liked.
2: Because, again, it's story. It's myth-making. It's, here's a kid that's waiting for his father to come, and he's having to fill out his father's suit, and I get that. More to the point, Daniel is probably the target demographic. I mean, young boys, this is what they're going to be paying attention to. I'd have to think, if you're a Transformers fan, how cool it would be if you could put on a suit and be one, too, right?
1: Isn't that what it is? It's ultimate wish fulfillment? Instead of just being the ant under the Transformer shoe, now you could be a Transformer. Jerry, did they make this toy? Did they make a suit for me to wear?
3: No, actually, they didn't make any toys for the humans or the exosuit or anything like that. But you're right, Arnie. I mean, clearly, at this point, Daniel can take out one of the Decepticons by picking up a large piece of metal that he couldn't before. He actually transforms into a little car, and, you know, it it makes sense because you see Spike... You know, obviously he's working out in space. He's got to have some sort of suit for that. So at least there was a moment there. You see it in action with his dad. And hey, here's one of his old exosuits. Apparently, maybe when he was younger and smaller, that was one of his first ones. It allows Daniel to step out and be part of the action in a planet that you presume doesn't have an atmosphere.
1: But we get the junk bots who seem to be Australian TV addicts. (laughs) 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 He's going to take care of your rig around the collar with his ancient Chinese secret, eh? (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of irony in this movie,
2: beyond dinosaurs trying to save them from extinction, and Constructicons actually demoing (laughs) cities... The idea that they're now going to laugh at anything that has been watching commercials and call them stupid, when in fact you are sitting there watching a giant commercial, that's, that takes a lot. I gotta say, that takes some big cojones for the animators to go there with that. Like, oh, look at these stupid wreck gar that he's a fool because the only English he knows comes from silly TV ads and they start dancing around to Weird Al's Dare to Be Stupid. Come on now. Who's <laughs> stupid?
1: <laughs> I I gotta say, this scene really has always bothered me even as a child is like they're attacking but we're gonna say the universal greeting and now we do happy
3: dance i mean it was
1: (laughs) really crazy
3: especially when you consider that ultra magnus is still dead during this so yeah let's have a little luau and dance and sing together there's a lot to be sad about right now (laughs) To, to break into dance and song this scene never worked for me either i've never as the fan here i never liked the Junkions, Rekgar. it never worked let me be
2: direct Unless it's got Boogaloo in the title, I don't want to see my A80s movies <laughs> dancing at all. No, sir. This was a poor dance. I mean, th- it,
1: it, they didn't even do the robot. It looked more like Ring Around the Rosie. I, just terrible, terrible scene. All they did was move back and forth. This is again back to the animation. It was like four frames this way, four frames back, four frames this way, four frames back. Where did Ultra Magnus go? You said we're supposed to be mourning him? I'm lost again. Where's Ultra Magnus? Well he was
2: killed. I got that much.
3: Okay. Thank you.
2: <laughs> Galvatron and some other heavies flew in and took the Matrix from him and they dismantled. That's him. right, and, I forgot that this had happened at this point. Yeah, okay. and so here I thought yet another death. Like no sooner have we introduced another leader than he's going to be killed too. I was really at this point thought, Wow, this movie is almost scene after scene of toys dismantling other toys and bringing
3: in new toys.
1: It's a toy snuff film.
3: It feels that way. You got it. Like, yeah. It's one of those things that, yeah, you see that happen to Ultra Magnus and then the Junkians just put them together, put a little shiny wax on he's good as new. That was a little jarring to kind of see that because how is it you can just reassemble them here, but then... They die in other scenes. So the inconsistency there was a little jarring. I, I guess you could argue he just was dismantled and didn't lose any internal functions. or It just seemed weird that, oh, we'll just put him back together. I had
1: the same thought is, if we're not mourning this truck because he could be so easily rebuilt, why did we mourn Optimus? Why didn't we just rebuild him?
3: There's no good answer to that. You would think instead of going after Unicron, they'd go back to Earth where Optimus Prime's body is and see what Rekkar could do with him.
1: he <laughs> can fix Optimus Prime and get your whole wash clean.
3: Eric Idle! Y'all, your cachet from
2: Monty Python being a hit now in the 80s in America, and this is what you get out of it?
1: Wow. You know, until Jerry said on this podcast that was Eric Idle, I was still confused who Eric Idle played. I can't believe that was him. I honestly thought that they just synthesized actual TV commercials.
2: No, it's pretty clearly Eric Idle. I picked that one out.
1: I didn't notice the English accent.
2: Well, let's just call it out what it is. This is supposed to be the comic relief scenes. This is supposed to be the stuff where we get to relax. All that stuff that I'm talking about, slowing down, telling the story and all, this is supposed to be it. This is supposed to be the diversion before we get into another action, right? So, were you laughing? Did Eric serve the premise well? I mean, I feel like you get Eric Idle and then you let Eric Idle write the jokes, but you don't get Eric Idle
1: to dance around to Weird Al in a cartoon. (laughs) I was happy to hear the Weird Al song. I'm a big fan of that (laughs) Devo ripoff. I agree. It was fun. So how does
2: everyone meet up again
1: for the battle?
3: Hot Rod and the Dinobots and Cup, they kind of run off the Quintessons, the little annoying robot. Wheelie? Wheelie, yeah. Yeah, he's
2: got a slingshot, yeah.
3: You know, between him and Rekgar, I mean, we have our Jar Jar Binks of the uh, Transformers the movie uh, characters here that you just kind of wish would go away. Sadly, Wheelie and Daniel are like buddy buddies in season three. They're like the two kid characters that don't really have a place, so they kind of bond, but they find a ship on quintessa and somehow know exactly where to go they go right to junk and they land and all the autobots are like hey what's this what's going to happen now and oh hey it's hot rod even i don't know how they knew to go there i have
1: no clue so what we're basically saying is in 1986 all the transformers are being thrown into the junk pile
2: (laughs) It does seem very meta and appropriate.
1: (laughs) All right. So let's get away from Quintessa and junk because these are diversions that make no sense to me and should have been served an actual story. And we go back to Unicron, where Galvatron has the Matrix, and apparently it's like a Rubik's Cube and Galvatron can't figure it out. Is it a, like a Rubik's Cube? I felt like it was... It's actually more like King Arthur, I think, you know, the Sword of yeah, the Stone type thing. That's what
2: I was thinking. That It only can
1: operate from a person that is the right
2: person, or more to the point, it has to be the darkest hour for the Autobots in order for it to illuminate their way.
3: Because even Ultra Magnus tries to use it to no avail. Galvatron can't open it because he's not even an Autobot. So, I mean, yeah, it, it's got to be the right time, the right person. As we see later, it's because Hot Rod's fingers fit perfectly in it. I mean, <laughs> it's like Cinderella and the Glass Slipper. Just find who it fits, and then you you know what to do with it.
1: This matrix of leadership is kind of the MacGuffin of the film, right? It's what everybody's kind of chasing after. Unicron sought it out. If Unicron had l- kept his damn mouth shut, there wouldn't have been a problem, right? <laughs> But he's the one who told Galvatron, go get the Matrix, and then when Galvatron thought Ultra Magnus was destroyed, he's like, no, no, go get the Matrix, and when he finally gets the Matrix... Again, I think I'm asking too many questions and trying to make sense out of a commercial, but it just seems like, how does Unicron know these things? Has he faced the Matrix before? Is this ever explained in Season 3 or anywhere, the comic, something?
3: You know, as far as I know, it's not been... I mean, you know, Unicron obviously has some level of omniscience because he knows where people's at. He saw the death of Optimus Prime, even though he's nowhere near. You know, his brain's got, like, all those TV screens. I don't know who's viewing it, but, I mean, it's like he knows what's going on, as if he just hey, I know this will destroy me, it hasn't happened, I've not encountered it, but I just know the power it has, because there's a lot of things he seems to know, and we don't really know why, and since The Matrix did end up destroying him, there was nothing really, I guess, to explain in the third season, because Unicron's already dead, so, no, we never get a good answer, other than, to your point, 1986 kids movie, he knows because he knows.
2: I'm really confused by who wins up with The Matrix, because... If this were the story of Ultra Magnus, it would be like a self-doubter that's like Optimus Prime, you're dying, you're giving me the leadership thing, I don't know if I can do it. And the answer is, actually, you can't do it. We're going to give it to the other guy. Really? (laughs) (laughs) You don't have the touch. (laughs) That Like, that is the most useless character ever. Like, if you have a character in a kid's movie that's self-doubting, the lesson shouldn't be, that's right, you're worth nothing. Can we get to Hot Rod? (laughs) Talk about a complex. Jeez. Yeah, because it falls on Hot Rod to open it up. And even though I knew Hot Rod was an important character, I did not suspect that he was – is he the leader now? What is this Rodimus Prime?
3: He is absolutely the leader of the end of the
2: So Ultra Magnus got rebuilt so that he could be demoted? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow. Lame. That makes you a loser.
3: They couldn't have sold too many action figures of this guy. That's all I'm saying. Well, he was a really cool toy nonetheless, but... I mean, based on the way Ultra Magnus has been acting, he's not going to complain. I mean, <laughs>
2: no, he'll crawl off into a corner, and... it's just poor guy. I, I feel for this character.
3: <laughs> Admittedly, it
1: does seem like he got the shaft.
3: Well, you know, to me what's always funny is that Hot Rod, now Rodimus, comes out at the end and just starts ordering Autobots to transform and roll out, and everybody's like, hey, we knew you had potential. I mean, you would think in a real-world environment if someone just came out, said, hey, I'm the leader now because Optimus Prime told me. I know you guys weren't all around to hear that, but trust me, it happened. There's not a lot to believe there. I guess it helped that he tripled in size after it happened. I mean, he physically went through a change that, I guess, demonstrates it. But it, it's just kind of a weird uh, assertion of power that he has there. Actually,
1: I got to be honest here. By this point, I felt like I was ready to give up the national secrets. I was screaming, there are four lights. I, I was, <laughs> you know, I'd had my fill of sensory overload and... It was like, okay, yep, he's the leader. Can we please play the touch? Ah, there it is. All right. It was losing me. And he uh, he becomes Rodimus Prime. I was just more confused. I'm like, oh, Bumblebee lived and Spike and a few others. Jazz survived. Scatman Crothers didn't, but Jazz did. They all got
2: eaten, but we learned there's a part of his internal process that they're dropped into acid fats, right? Like they're on the way to being digested, but they're not eaten yet, right? And that's where we get... The moment for Daniel to step up, use his suit, save his dad, blast the lid to the acid cover shut. That, it gives him something to do. Rescuing your parents is a big 80s thing. You know, like that was a good character arc for Daniel. And I feel like that was maybe the only character arc that is satisfying in this movie.
3: That whole coming of age of Hot Rod Prime was really exciting because you saw him battle Galvatron obviously struggle. He was the chosen one. He's christened by Optimus Prime himself, speaking through the Matrix. And then suddenly, he's indestructible. And I wish there'd been more of a knockdown, dragout drag-out fight with Galvatron to where suddenly he starts pummeling him. Instead, he just picks him up and throws him out of Unicron. So that was really weird. That could have been far better. But I think the movie did a pretty good arc of Hot Rod being the hot-headed, immature, you know, I've screwed up. Nobody probably even really likes me because I'm so arrogant to stepping up and becoming that responsible leader who people are pretty uh, accepting of and kind of makes the big speech at the end. So that was A good moment for a Transformer fan to kind of see that happen the way it does. We see what the Matrix can do. It takes out Unicron just like Unicron (laughs) feared that it would and to me that was a pretty good closure of Hot Rod's arc into becoming Rodimus Prime.
2: And it redeems him from killing Optimus Prime. I guess I would be much more okay with it if there wasn't this stepping stone of Ultra Magnus.
3: My thing
1: was it just seemed a little bit too easy. Hot Rod got his hands on the Matrix. The touch plays. It starts shooting beams of light and immediately Unicron's taken out. It seemed too easy and I'm of two minds. I mean, obviously Unicron was basically a transforming Death Star who could become a giant robot and sure, yeah, the Death Star was taken out with one shot down an exhaust port, so I suppose to some degree it needs to be the simple solution, but by the other's token it's like, wow, that's all it took and if Optimus Prime was walking around with his A-bomb in his chest, how come he never used it, you know, against Decepticons?
3: Well, but I think that's the point. You just can't use it whatever Ultra Magnus learned that it just matrix is that we later learned it kind of houses the wisdom and the spirits of all the leaders that came before you. Really bizarre, I know, but it's almost as if the Matrix will tell you when it's time. Yeah, I mean, it's contrived for this movie because it never existed before, but I guess with a foe like Unicron, what else are you really going to do? I mean, Rodimus Prime isn't going to fly out of his ear and then challenge him to a fist fight. That's the only way to really take him out. It's just from I- internally.
1: I just think there needed to be like a weak spot. You know, there needed to be something more than just he just stood there and the Matrix did the work. Hot Rod did didn't do anything. Hot Rod just held the Matrix and immediately he was transformed into the leader and Unicron blew up. That's not a satisfying resolution for a character who presumably caused the death of our hero. <laughs> Now, we talked about the animation. I like how he blows up. I like the whole eye thing and all that. That was kind of cool. But on the one hand, I wish there was more to it. On the other hand, there was so much here already. I was wanting to lay down.
3: Didn't it didn't feel like, though, that it was time to just wrap it up and close it up with a simple ending. I mean, whatever the power of the Matrix actually was, it just ripped them to shreds from the inside out. I mean-
1: Efficient storytelling is not good storytelling.
3: I want a hero's arc. Damn it. And I think you're right to want one. Yes. Do
2: we want the movie to be over? Yes. But that is not the same thing. <laughs> that's not the same impulse as wanting to see a good story. And that's what I would argue here is that we have not seen these characters implemented in a good story. A question for you. Before he blows up, Unicron has eaten Cybertron, right? The home world of
3: Autobots and Decepticons is gone. No, 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 no. No,
1: he ate a moon. The the planet lived.
3: He transforms and then just starts pounding on the planet. I- guess just for fun so he must have done some pretty good damage to it but he never devoured cybertron he okay
1: because at the end they're like the decepticons are fleeing and hot rod is now rodimus prime and he's on cybertron ruling all the transformers i guess Oh, I thought that might have been Autobot City.
2: I, I mean, I thought it was funny because they're like, "That is the end of the Cybertron Wars." I'm like, "Well, yeah, I guess if you blow up the planet, that's the end. Of, that's the end of the wars." Yes. By default, <laughs> we will bring peace on Earth by blowing up Earth. Okay. Yeah, it seemed a little easy, <laughs> but anyway.
1: All right. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up with: Has the Imperial Magistrate reached a verdict? I, I have. have recommend or not recommend Stuart. <laughs>
2: I had a flashback, a post-traumatic stress flashback. I, for a short period of time, worked at Chuck E. Cheese Pizza, where I was a dining room attendant and had to deal with hordes of screaming kids running around with their new toys and bringing them pizza and the food and the fist fighting and all of that. This movie brought back that sensation in full bloom. I felt like trying to understand it and follow it was trying to tame a whole room full of sugar-addicted, unparented, <laughs> undisciplined kids. It was a headache. It made almost no sense to me. On all of the energy that I spent on it, I, I still feel like I walk away totally shell-shocked. I don't even know what I saw. I literally was sweating. That's not even an exaggeration. I literally sweat watching this movie. I mean maybe we can recommend it as an exercise program. <laughs> My hope is that the movies, the theatrical Michael Bay movies are going to be more coherent. <laughs> but, but but I I'm not even really optimistic that that is the case. So all I can say is that I feel like Not seeing the TV show and not knowing these characters, this movie was like watching a foreign film with no subtitles. It made no sense. There's no way I can recommend it for a newbie.
1: Strong not recommend. So Jerry...
3: I absolutely love this movie. If it wasn't obvious from the podcast so far, I've seen it more times than I can count. I own multiple copies of the soundtrack to me. I, I hold this in high regard. I'd recommend this to any fanboy of this type of stuff. I mean, whether you're big Voltron fan or just a big fan of the movies that are currently being made by Michael Bay, you gotta go and see this movie. This movie is to me a lot of fun, has a lot of high stakes and does what I think very few TV show to theatrical release conversions can do. It raises the bar of what can happen on screen so definitely recommend for me you know
1: being such a huge transformers fan as a kid and watching the shows and things i'm watching this and i'm not understanding childhood me at all because i'm not enjoying it and i i realized taste change but i had to really reevaluate my whole childhood in this 80 minutes (laughs) (laughs) and so i actually went back and watched the first handful of episodes of Transformers. I had to before this podcast. I had to mm. go back to the show and go, was the whole show as bad as this movie? And it wasn't. I watched the first handful of episodes. The first three were a better movie than this movie. And it was just a little bit shorter. It introduced characters methodically. It covered a lot of ground. It had a lot of action. But it actually had character arcs and it had build up and it had good storytelling and Jerry I understand what you're saying about the animation not being quite as good as this there were definitely some really poor animation points in this 1984 episodes I saw but it was about on par it was not night and day different animation but yet it was night and day different storytelling I guess because they had less toys to introduce in 1984 than in 1986 when they had to wipe the slate clean And so, do I recommend this? I just have to say, the old adage is true, you you can't go home again. Some childhood excitement can't be relived. If you remember this movie fondly but haven't seen it for a long time, leave your memories as they are and don't watch this movie. This movie is terrible. The way Marjorie felt in our Poltergeist 2 podcast, I feel about this. About watching something that you saw and enjoyed as a child and just realize it's total crap. Were it not for the death of Optimus in that opening battle, and that opening battle having so many nostalgic points, this film I don't think would be remembered or loved by anybody. It's the death of Optimus that grabbed the kids back then and went, oh, they killed Optimus. And that is why this film is part of our geek culture. But the film itself, if you look at it objectively, it's confusing. It's spastic. It introduces way too much. The series introduced, like, one robot type an episode. Here's the Constructicon episode. Here's the Dinobot episode. But there was a story to each of it. Here, we're seeing a new product almost every minute. So all of my positive memories from Transformers are from the TV series. I dare say that everybody's are. This may be just the pinnacle because it was a theatrical release, but I recommend that you do not watch this. It's not only that I just say I don't recommend it, I recommend you stay away from this like it's toxic. (laughs) (laughs) Or at least take your Ritalin. (laughs) Jerry, I gotta ask, this changed everything. I remember vaguely season three. I remember those kind of being cool, being darker and being a bit more futuristic a bit more sci-fi what happened from here and of course i remember the ads that optimus returned so yeah
3: you're right the show now being 2005 2006 in the future spent a lot of time on cybertron spent a lot of time on other alien worlds occasionally came to earth but the show had a different feel because everything was far more futuristic now of course because it's the way they view life 20 years from now so Everyone wore the spaceman jumpsuits when there were humans, and they had a lot of weird storylines. But at the same time, it felt like a different property. Uh, It started playing with, hey, what's the background of the Transformers with the Quintessons? You know, things like that. But, you know, it's kind of interesting because in the UK, at the end of the Transformers movie, there was a little bit of an epilogue from the narrator that we didn't get in the U.S. version, where he pretty much says things like, there'll be some time of peace, but don't worry, Optimus Prime will be back. (laughs) It's it's like they took the US experiment and said, No wait a minute, we gotta reassure all the kids that Prime's gonna be fine. Yeah, I think that's (laughs) wise. Yeah. You know, I I think what they tried to do with this movie just shook it too much too fast, made it feel like a different property and
1: having again been in Comic-Con and talked to you about Transformers from time to time and seeing things. I don't recall any of like that being iconic. Nothing from there is what people hearken back to when I hear about Correct. Transformers. What I hear about is always the original theme song, the original series, Bumblebee and Optimus, never Rodimus and Galvatron. These are not the ones who they're remaking today. I, I don't see in the new movie Galvatron versus Rodimus. Maybe that'll be Dark Side of the Moon, <laughs> but...
2: I'll say this.
1: I didn't enjoy this movie
2: a lot, but I am very grateful to have a peek into the window of where Transformers came from. I think it will be interesting to see how much of what's here is going to be in what we're about to see for the next three films. And I'm curious to see what sticks and what Bay and Spielberg thought was worth keeping
1: for their Transformers trilogy. I completely agree with you, Stuart. While I didn't enjoy this movie, getting back into 80s Transformers to see, again, what was loved, what was iconic. I think I actually got more out of watching the few handful of TV episodes I did than this movie. But getting back into 80s Transformers before diving into the new Michael Bay series, I think is going to be an invaluable perspective. Because I think having watched the Bay films once before what i lacked in order to connect to those was clear memories of what was and just trying to take what was on screen i i wasn't able to make that cognitive connection and i'm looking forward to revisiting the bay films and seeing what i think about them now having refreshed myself on transformers first i guess we'll find out next week well stewart jerry thank you for joining me this week
2: and just beyond Transformers, we'll be getting to Green Lantern, which sadly has won the viewer's choice. I, I will do what the viewer asks. I feel like Galvatron here. I will do what you ask. And But we, why we'll, are they hurting you? <laughs> yes, they are hurting me so bad. Maybe it won't be so bad. A, a week from now, uh, Green Lantern will be opening. We'll be covering that just after Transformers. So don't forget about us on Tuesdays.
1: And we'll be back next week to discuss Michael Bay's first Transformers film till all over
0: our races united by a history long forgotten and a future we shall face together i am optimus prime and i send this message so that our pasts will always be remembered for in those memories we live on Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing's Transformers movie retrospective series. Tell Grimlock about Petro Rapids again. Remember to come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another Transformers film leading up to the weekend of release review of this summer's Transformers, Dark of the Moon. Never seen anything like this before. And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives. You can find reviews of other films, such as Terminator, X-Men, Star Trek, Predator, and many more. As well as individual movie reviews, such as Avatar, Inception, Howard the Duck, and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Your, your friends will love it. Sure, it's a lot of fun. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss the Transformers movies with other listeners. Are you not surprised to see us? You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are at nowplayingpodcast.com. We are here. We are waiting. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. I owe you my life. We are in your debt. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Just ask yourself, what would Jesus do? You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more. The link to our Cafe Press store is available at our homepage. Like us, there's more to them than meets the eye. Now Playing's Transformers Retrospective series is edited by Jerry, Carlos, and Arnie.
1: Did you know it was going to be this hard? Can you just stop?
0: Now Playing is not affiliated with Hasbro Incorporated, Paramount Pictures, DreamWorks Pictures, or 20th Century Fox. Not a word until we get a lawyer. Transformers, and all that the Transformers universe contains, is the property of Hasbro Incorporated, and no infringement is intended. Okay, so what? I I downloaded a couple of thousand songs off the internet. Who has it? The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts, and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated.
2: There's something a little fishy about you, your son, your little Taco Bell dog, and this whole operation you got going on here.
0: Now playing is a Venganza Media production. Copyright 2011. All rights reserved. Come on, show time's over. We've got work to do.
2: Really weird. Are, are we talking? Are we talking about Transformers or Scientology? I'm confused.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: was there a volcano involved?
3: Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, there was. Uh- <laughs> Why he eats planets. I know Galactus eats because are, he are you,
2: t- are, are you talking about the character in the movie or are you talking about Orson Welles? <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know, a- as an aside with that, somebody, one of the, the storyboard editor, or whatever, in the commentary made a comment like that that I actually found a little tasteless. He said, Well, it's funny. He played a planet, and when he walked in, I thought, Wow, he looks like a planet. <laughs> <laughs> Method actor. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Imagine this: you're a boy. You have all these toys,
1: and now
2: this isn't
3: hard to imagine, Arnie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> imagine
2: you're a boy. <laughs> no, buddy, this, this was me uh, in 1986. Yeah. Get back. yeah. Keep going. Yeah. Okay. Well, I gotta say, if you're hoping to stop extinction by putting your hopes on a bunch of dinosaurs, you bet the wrong horse. <laughs>
1: Okay, so, so why, so, so, so why, so so we, so why would, ha, all right, <laughs> do you have a good entrance? <laughs> so Hot Rod and Daniel-san see the ship coming in- <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, my God, the S-bomb in a kid's movie. That had did to be Did you say the S bomb S. Oh, okay. I was like, what What version of the movie did you see? <laughs> I
1: got the Japanese uncut version. No, no, the S-bomb. <laughs> <laughs> and they were dancing like my grandma after too many drinks. And she's this dead. This has become... <laughs> Wow. Okay. (laughs) I don't know where that came from.
2: I know You you, you may take that out. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I think that's wise. (laughs) I'm not even sure.
3: I won't even. That's not even blooper real material right
2: there. It could be blooper. (laughs) I think it could be (laughs) blooper. Speaking of bed, <laughs> <from> your <condition, laughs> now you're forcing him to leave it in. <laughs> Ultra Magnus, I-, I-, I think Lita Ford or Vixen could have done an awesome uh, job for RC at the end, love ballad. But oh well, only Autobots leak. Whoa, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I am not stepping into that. Wait, wasn't August of '86 when Howard the Duck came out?
2: I was just about to bust your ass. So I'm like, don't <laughs> even try and say, "Oh, I didn't see movies in theaters multiple times." Go back to the tape, Howard <laughs> the Duck. Well,
1: okay, in August of '86, it must have been a bleak summer because I saw Howard the Duck twice and Transformers twice. <laughs> All right, Jerry, what about Ba Weep, Gra Now Weep, Mini Ba? What the? <laughs> It's That's how I answer the phone. phone.
2: What's his name? Omnicron?
1: Unicron. Unicron. Here here's like how you unicorn. can remember it. He has horns like a unicorn. Unicron. Got it. I was trying to do that because I yeah. Of course, what's really funny is the song's sung by a guy named Bush. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Not touching <Yeah>. that. <laughs> Moving uh, on.
2: <laughs> how do you feel about Lady Transformers, Arnie? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I got nothing on that one. <laughs> okay. I, I don't. I, I, I'm i more annoyed that a microscope is also a
3: telescope, so. <laughs> I guess with, with a faux-like unicorn, unicorn, <laughs> now you got me doing it, already.